0: Hello! QueerAF is now an independent community interest company. Our podcast's first four seasons were funded by National Student Pride, and so there might be some old calls to action in them. For the most up-to-date info on our podcast that funds budding LGBTQIA audio producers, visit wearequeeraf.com and sign up for our free weekly newsletter that sums up the LGBTQIA world and supports queer creatives kickstart their career.
1: Enjoy the show.
2: June 1969, New York City.
0: It's illegal to serve gays alcohol. It's illegal for gays to dance with one another. Bars and clubs are routinely raided. And if dirty cops don't run them, the Mafia probably do.
2: Police raids are nothing to write home about. In gay bars, in bars where off-colour comedians perform, in all sorts of meeting places for the counterculture. This is a decade living in the wake of McCarthyism, political and social witch-hunting, the sexual revolution of the 60s, anti-war protests, the civil rights movement.
0: It all sounds very exciting and heroic to us today, but remember, people's lives were on the line. Careers were ruined. And families were being torn apart.
2: Activism was not a game. Even just being honest with your nearest and dearest wasn't a game.
0: This week on Hashtag QRAF, the events that sparked 50 years of activism with Sebastian Hendra from Historical Homos and Max Taylor, a National Student Pride volunteer, as we prepare to celebrate 50 years since Stonewall at this weekend's National Student Pride.
2: Stonewall was not a sudden flare in an otherwise dark age for gay civil rights. Sebastian
0: Hendra from Historical Homos.
2: So, Historical Homos is the internet's only platform that celebrates LGBTQ plus history with no fucks given. The whole point is to use art, humor, and storytelling to make the legacy of history's greatest LGBTQ figures more visible in pop culture. And I started it with my sister so that our community could have a shared platform for honoring our history in language that anyone understands.
0: We wanted to speak to Sebastian because I think it's clear We all know something about Stonewall. But in the year of its 50th anniversary, how much do you know about it? How much do we all know about it? We went on campus to find out.
2: It's only really something I was explained to properly when I started dating an American a few years ago. Took it for granted a little bit.
3: Mostly means like a coming together of people to overcome something quite big actually you can't really fathom what it must have been like to really push against laws against living the way that we live now uh, so for me it's there's quite a I guess heroic aspect
0: to it. It's, it's it's one of those things that you always hear about even when you're not kind of in the LGBT community it's quite like iconic I feel like I've, everyone kind of knows about Stonewall and that it was like a massive Thing for the LGBTQ community.
3: They were they,
2: they were the ones that they fought for our rights and the ones the one that achieved for us to have our freedom, freedom to be ourselves.
3: The first thing I think of when I think of Stonewall is Marsha P. Johnson um, and Sylvia Rivera, trans women of color that uh, were at the forefront of the fight for what is the modern LGBTQIA+ movement. Other than that, I think I've got a quite detached uh, association with Stonewall, especially its existence in this country. Um, But I think that's probably because the years I spent distance from LGBT history.
0: The consensus from LGBT plus students, and indeed many of us out on the streets, all know that Stonewall is an important part of our history. But we don't all necessarily know what happened that night.
2: Let's be clear, the Stonewall riots were a catalyst, not a beginning. That's often how it's touted. But in the 50s, there were already movements and organizations calling themselves homophile, which just means homo-loving in ancient Greek. Um, And these were growing in prominence from San Francisco to New York and across the world. In the US, they included the likes of the Mattachine Society, One Inc., Daughters of Organizations which actually were a refuge from bars and other LGBT hotspots precisely because they weren't subject to raids. These were private meeting grounds, and they eventually became centers for activism, education, and community outreach.
0: Okay, okay. so what actually happened the Night of Stonewall? Well, let's travel back 50 years. June 1969.
2: The Stonewall Uprising. It's June 1969. Martin Luther King Jr. got assassinated the year before, in April 1968. President Kennedy will meet a similar fate later this year in November 1969. Everyone was fucking scared. Civil rights movements were by no means guaranteed to come out on top. And it's in this pregnant year of tension that Stonewall unfolds. Friday, June 27th, before midnight. So 200 people are rammed into the Stonewall Inn on a hot, sweaty New York City night. Stonewall is tiny. It's like a dive bar for homos. God knows how they possibly cram all that ego
0: in there. June 28th, 1.20 a.m.
2: The Stonewall also operates without a liquor license because the liquor license authorities won't give them one because they're known as a gay bar. So around 1.20 a.m., eight police officers enter the bar and begin the raid. Lights are turned on, everyone is lined up and told to provide ID, but the patrons won't cooperate, and police backup is taking too long. So they decide just to arrest everyone and line them up to wait for the police cars outside. They let some of them go in the process, but instead of leaving, the freed ones just gather outside and wait to see what happens, forming a crowd. June 28th, 2 a.m. Now it's nearly 2 a.m. There are about 150 people outside, and by the time the first patrol wagon gets there to ferry away those who have been arrested, the crowd has gotten even bigger. Suddenly, there's a scuffle when a lesbian fights back against police officers manhandling her into the wagon. They hit her over the head with a billy club and heave her in. This is the last straw for the crowd, who start trying to overturn the wagon. Pennies are thrown, then bottles, then bricks. Now there are hundreds of people outside in the crowd joining the fight against a puny contingent of policemen. 10 officers flee into the inn to protect themselves and barricade the door. This only makes the crowd rowdier. They start throwing garbage, bricks, bottles, whatever they can find to force their way into the bar. Windows break on the face of the building. A freaking parking meter is uprooted and the crowd try to use it as a battering ram to get into Stonewall. Then the tactical police force of the NYPD arrive and free the officers barricaded inside. They detain anyone they can and load them into patrol wagons to go to jail. June 28th. 4 By 4 a.m., which is still party time in New York City, the crowd is dispersed, arrests have been made, and streets are cleared. Everything inside Stonewall has been smashed to bits. Toilets, cigarette machines, you name it. The next day. The story of the Stonewall riots is not over. The next night, it's still Saturday, Stonewall reopens, and news of the riots has spread like wildfire. A thousand people return to the area to protest, choking up Christopher Street and its neighboring alleys.
0: Sunday, June 29th, 1am.
2: Garbage can fires are raging. The police return, and the street fighting continues again until around 4am. Sylvia Rivera, a trans activist, sees a friend jump onto the hood of a car and terrorize the occupants. Marsha P. Johnson, the famed street queen, climbs a lamppost and dumps a bag of rocks onto a cop car. And somewhere amidst all of this, beat poet Alan Ginsberg, who lives in the neighbourhood, happens upon the riot and says, Gay power, isn't that great? It's about time we did something to assert ourselves. He then visits Stonewall Inn for the first time.
0: Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. There were three days of rest, dampened by the weather. Wednesday.
2: New riots ensue. Wednesday, a small newspaper called The Village Voice runs reports of the riots that were full of shade. The authors complained about the, quote, forces of faggotry and limp wrists that marred the events of the day. These two bozos who write the article are suddenly under fire from the community, who promptly form another mob and show up on Christopher Street again, threatening to burn the offices of The Village Voice to the ground. Things get out of hand. Another explosive street battle takes place injuries to protesters and police alike, looting of local shops, arrests, all of your favorite riot pastimes.
0: The rest of 1969. The
2: thing about the Stonewall riots is that they essentially incited many LGBT people to get active because the riots made the cause visible. It was almost like a marketing stunt. The riots emboldened people who previously felt their lives, careers, and futures were at risk just by living openly. Suddenly, marches and demonstrations for LGBT rights were now within view. After the sensational riots, it was even desirable to fight back, to be seen in public behind this cause. So in the rest of 1969, a bunch of new organizations form. The Gay Liberation Front is the first one, but they're extremely disorganized, although interestingly, they're the first organization to actually use the word gay in their name. After the GLF disbands, some of them later reappear as the Gay Activists Alliance. These guys last longer, about a decade, and interesting tidbit, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera were some of their founding members. Then there are other hints at increased visibility. In October of that year, Time magazine publishes an article called The Homosexual, Newly Visible, Newly Understood. And then in early 1970, there's another raid on another place called the Snake Pit, and this only galvanizes people more. So that by June 1970, the first gay pride parade is celebrated honoring the one-year anniversary of the Stonewall riots. This parade was referred to as the Christopher Street Liberation Day March. It was the first gay pride march in U.S. history and inspired many more around the world.
0: After the break, National Student Pride Volunteer Max Taylor sits down with Pride in London's Merle Dwyer and University of Westminster LGBTI Society representative Nikki Hayden to discuss the rights, including what they knew before listening to Historical Homos' Timeline, as well as what it all means to our community now. Thanks for listening to Hashtag Queer AF. If you're listening in real time, we're just days away from National Student Pride 2019, where not only is LGBT plus legend Ian McKellen appearing on stage as a guest on this very podcast, he's also going to be joining the panel, celebrating 50 years since the Stonewall riots with activists Paula Ackman, Peter Tatchell, Educate and Celebrate's Ellie Barnes, and the trans hero and student pride ambassador, Paris Lees. Our Pride of Conversations Daytime Festival is free to attend for all. But you can also get weekend wristbands, which get you cue jumps and drink stills to our after parties. They're just £5 for the whole weekend. All the details on studentpride.co.uk. We'll see you at the event, the 22nd to 24th of February 2019. Bring your best hashtag queer AF self. We certainly will. Welcome back. Now we all know a little bit more about what happened the night of those Stonewall riots. Student Pride volunteer Max Saylor wanted to sit down with some other young people to get a sense of what they knew about the night and what it still means to them now. Max sat down with Nikki Hayden, the University of Westminster's LGBTI Society representative, and Pride in London's Ramel O'Dwyer.
3: So having just listened to that, guys, uh, how much did we know about Stonewall before?
4: One of the things that stands out for me um, and was quite important about the Stonewall riots is, is the, the idea that it was a catalyst for change, not the beginning and not the birthing yeah. of, of you know a pride movement, but a specific moment that birthed the private movement across the world in some, in some respects. And just remembering that we do stand on the shoulders of people who, who, you know, who were involved in an important moment, but I can understand why, you know, not many people, um, do necessarily know the intricate details of, 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 the, the events that happened that night.
3: What really strikes me is that once you hear it on a timeline like that, you really get an idea of the existential threat that there was to people's lives, uh, It sounds really exciting, as Sebastian says, but this was real life or death for people, having everything thrown at you and and all these fires and everything going on. And it makes sense because I didn't realise how many prohibitions there were. It wasn't even legal to serve gay people alcohol.
5: I was definitely aware of the history, but only because I've researched and looked into it, not because I've... uh, you know, not because I've heard from it, uh, I've heard about it from other LGBT people. Um, what also um, strikes me is the fact that, you know, there was a lot of discontent prior to the Stonewall uh, riots. And I think it was an accumulation of, of all of them situations that came to a point where people were just pissed off yeah. and people were fed up and they wanted to be heard, be seen, and not be invalidated. Um, as someone who is transgender, what what really strikes me about the Stonewall riots is the issue f- uh, for trans and uh, people and those who are cross-dressing. During that night, I know that uh, feminine-appearing people were taken to the toilets and by a female officer and their genitalia was checked to see whether it matched the clothing that they were wearing. And if it didn't, they would be arrested.
3: I didn't know that so many key characters in this were lesbian and trans people i didn't know that so just to turn that out to you guys are there any lessons you've learned from this as well
4: i think that i think that is the most poignant thing about and i think is one of the things that actually has saddened me so much um about the transphobia that we we see uh, certainly in the last year which has been horrendous because actually I think it, it's interesting I think people think being trans is a new phenomenon uh, just as back then being gay was suddenly this new phenomenon and it's like actually you no know, trans people have always existed we've you know society have cho- chosen yeah. and I use the word chosen specifically chosen to ignore that um, and so this idea that trans inclusion uh, you know is some is some new idea and suddenly uh, you know private movements need to be more inclusive actually prior, you know right from the start of uh, what we understand to now be the modern private movement uh, we're, were trans people and it's you know Malaysia.
3: it's just Blanket uh, erasure.
4: Absolutely, yeah. and, it, and that's why I'm quite sickened, specifically by people within our own community, within the, the LGBT umbrella, who have, you know, have, have talked about, uh, you know, the trans rights eroding, uh, you know, other parts of the LGBT uh, community, specifically uh, more recently and more loudly, uh, lesbian rights, when actually uh, our rights and uh, have been denied alongside each other for a long time. Yeah.
5: And back in uh, on that point, I also think um, that the whole um, idea around Stonewall how we view it has been whitewashed. It's not only been kind of cisgendified, but also whitewashed.
3: The people of color play. Mm-hmm. And as well.
5: yeah, and I think you know Marsh P Johnson and Sylvia Rivera—they um, were people of color, yeah. um, trans femme people of color. Back mm-hmm. then, they considered them, uh, the word they used was transvestites, mm-hmm. uh, which is a modern-day transgender. Um, And I don't want to speak for people of colour's experience, but, you know, it's very obvious that there is racism in the LGBT community. You know, uh, Stonewall uh, Stonewall Inn was frequented in equal amounts by white people, um, African-American people, and Latino people. Um, It was an entire diverse mix of ethnicities.
4: But I think it's specifically... You know the, the the way that people understand the pride movement um, it, it, it is quite important because I, I think it's it's very damaging when we have this idea we have this idea that certain parts of our community haven't always been there and haven't always played a role. I feel the same way about transphobia. Um, the fact that it is you know it's a
5: shared struggle. Trans people with a from the very beginning.
3: So just to tie that all up, then, if we were sat here again in fifty years' time, looking back on a hundred years since the Stonewall riots and fifty years since we were sat here today, what would be a realistic vision of where the LGBT community would be in society?
4: I mean, for for me, one of the things I've always hoped for is that in that period of time, um, I'd. I'd simply sat down talking to young people who would essentially laugh in my face because they couldn't believe that we possibly lived in a world where LGBT people weren't uh, were, were persecuted. Now, I don't think. Um, we can achieve that globally, even in 50 years. But I certainly would like to be in a position where it seems almost laughable that anybody would be against LGBT people. Um, I I think um, if you look at the the history of the LGBT community in the last 50 years, actually things have moved fairly quickly for certain elements of our community. Um, And I would hope that the rest of the the, the community is able to to feel just as, um, uh, as, as safe as some parts of our community do feel now. I would hope that trans people aren't murdered or assaulted or raped.
5: Um, I would hope that they're not discriminated against. And I would hope that people in the LGBT plus community can be free to just be who they are. and They can be themselves.
3: I think ultimately what we can agree on is that right now, activism is still important and looking ahead in the future, it still will be important. Uh, I think we really owe thanks the people that came before us and the activists before us, like those at the Stonewall Riots. And ultimately, it's important that we are clued up and we know what they did, we know who they were. And all it takes nowadays is a quick Google to find out what an amazing story they have that gave us what we have today.
0: That's it for this week's Hashtag Queer AF. But we'll be continuing the Stonewall Riots conversation at National Student Pride 2019, the 22nd to 24th of February with Ian McKellen, Munro Bergdorf, Evan Davis, Paris Lees, and so many other amazing names this weekend. Get your tickets now. studentpride.co.uk forward slash tickets. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and please rate us on Apple Podcasts, share the Spotify link with a friend, or just tell someone about listening to the show on your favorite podcast app. Today's show was produced by me, at Jamie underscore Ware, with extra thanks to the At Historical Homeless team and Student Pride volunteer, Max Taylor. We are hashtag queer AF, and so are you.